Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. Today we're going to do a video that I didn't actually anticipate doing, and that's going to be a discussion of the oral arguments that Epic and Apple had in front of the judge yesterday in respect of whether or not that judge should issue an injunction requiring Apple to keep Fortnite on their store and preventing Apple from taking any action against Epic and more specifically Epic subsidiaries that are in charge of the Unreal Engine. Now, we actually summarized the state of play in a 24 or so minute video yesterday that you can check out as part of our Epic versus Everyone playlist. But before we talk about oral arguments, I want to talk a little bit about why I wasn't actually going to discuss them with you before the order was issued. And that's because from a history of having watched these arguments at the Supreme Court level, at trial court levels, uh, throughout my career, it has become apparent to me that oral arguments are very often read to mean more than they actually should be by reporters primarily, but also by others that follow legal actions as a team sport that maybe follow places like virtual legality. And the reason for that is because the judge in oral arguments is trying to establish for themselves in a panel or for herself in this particular case, exactly what the thinking demands that she put together for her order or denial for the preliminary injunction request right? She's got to put together her thought process. And so she's going to play devil's advocate in various places against Epic and against Apple. And that is exactly what happened yesterday. So you can see in the thumbnail to this video, I highlighted a tweet from Brian Fung over at CNN that says, this is a brutal hearing for Epic and the judge is very skeptical. And I tend to agree with what was reported about this particular hearing, but that's not really unexpected. And we can't take a lot away from that in terms of interpreting what the order is likely to say. We can say the judge definitely has some issues with Epic and their theory of the case. And so a preliminary injunction in general is unlikely to issue, at least as Epic has requested it in its entirety. But we can't necessarily go and say, well, then Epic is going to lose on the Unreal issue as well, or the judge is going to do X, Y, or Z. The other thing I wanted to point out about this specific tweet is the knowledge that the judge is very skeptical. As we talked about yesterday, when we're talking about preliminary injunctions, this is a request of the court to use special powers to give you something that you haven't won yet in the full litigation. So you actually have a high burden if you're epic to go and ask the court to say, hey, we're going to win this case anyway. We would be harmed irreparably if you didn't issue this. The fairness balance favors us that we are the more fair party in this particular litigation and the public interest favors your issuing the, uh, of the preliminary injunction. And if you don't win all of these in various strength levels, you don't get a preliminary injunction. So the correct pose for a judge at really any level when having a request made of this special equitable type is to be skeptical. The burden is on Epic. Prove it to me, Epic, that I should issue this thing. I'm going to be skeptical of your request to make sure that you have met the burden that you need to in order for the injunction to issue. So when you see a tweet thread like this one from Patrick McGee over at the Financial Times, and he points out all the many ways that the judge is grilling Epic, that is to be expected, that the judge should be grilling Epic more than Apple. Apple is trying to oppose the use of the court's special powers. They don't have that high burden. All they have to do is prevent the burden from being reached by the party that is seeking the injunction. And so while you do get questions of Apple, and I think some good ones, you don't get that same kind of feeling that they are being grilled that reporters reported on yesterday in respect of the judge and Epic. Now, if 
you've been in virtual legality for a while. If you watched that summary video yesterday, if you watched every minute of Epic versus Everyone playlist, then you know that I feel that Epic's arguments are relatively weak. And I think that comes out in a lot of what the judge says at the hearings yesterday. But we still reserve that the actual order or denial that will be issued is going to be more dispositive on these questions. You will see arguments that the judge will make and that she will like or that she will dislike that she maybe didn't highlight in the hearings yesterday. And that is normal. That is par for the course. So before we kind of get into at least a few of these comments from yesterday, understand that this is potentially informative. It's potentially educational. We can have these comments. We can have this discussion in this space. It won't actually matter until that order is issued or denied in part or in whole. So they start out here at the hearing with a little bit of a misstep for Epic. The judge actually says, hey, you haven't produced your documents yet, Epic, that have been requested as part of this trial. Never a great sign when the judge immediately starts with that. And then she starts in with her actual material questions. She says, hey, I want to understand how you're defining the relevant market, the area of effective competition. Clearly, this is where I have the most questions. And if you've been following this series in virtual legality from the start, you know that when this series first started, one of the things that I highlighted was that the most important question to be asked and answered in an antitrust case is what is the relevant market? Because if you can define it narrowly enough, Epic defines it as iOS app distribution, then of course the defendant is a monopolist provider of things like iOS access. But if Apple can counter successfully with the judge and say, hey, no, this is video games or at bare minimum Fortnite distribution possibilities. It includes Xbox and PlayStation and Switch and Android and everywhere else that you could possibly get a copy of Fortnite. And then the judge has to make that determination, have to say, hey, who is right in this particular instance? And I have said, this is a bit of a novel reading of what a market should be in American antitrust law. And so that presents a weakness in the case. Or as the judge says, in many ways, Epic, you've created a fail-safe definition. Because if it's a single product definition like iOS, then by definition, they have a monopoly. And that's not the end of the inquiry, as we've also talked about in this space. You can be a monopolist, but it's whether or not you use that power as a monopolist illegally in restraint of trade or to maintain your monopoly or to build it if you're not 100% a monopolist when this case is being adjudicated, that you get in trouble with the law. So Epic has to establish you're a monopolist. They have to define the market narrowly, and then they have to establish you did something bad with that power. They have two basic arguments here that 30% is too high, that you're tying the app payment processing system to app distribution, which itself is tied to your iOS creation, and that that in and of itself is an illegal restraint of trade, and the judge isn't necessarily buying a lot of it. You see Epic's counsel come in and saying, well, we're not actually challenging the software at the platform level, which is the primary market. All we are challenging is the restraints that occur with respect to distribution and restraints that occur with respect to payment processing. Now, one of the interesting things about that particular argument, which I haven't really seen presented in exactly that way in this case before from Epic, is that if the judge doesn't ultimately buy that these different functions of the iOS ecosystem, the app store, in-app payment processing, these things are separate from the software platform level itself, then if you're Epic, you basically just gave away the game with that sentence, right? If the judge says, no, they're not separate markets, they're not really separate things, they're just functionalities of one market that Apple has the right to do to sell its hardware, then you're going to lose on all arguments because you aren't challenging the software platform level, which is their primary market. 
We also get some skepticism from the judge that the uh, economist that the Epic side brought up is actually telling the judge what the market is and wasn't effectively massaged a little bit by Epic. You see Epic then say, hey, does the iPhone and iPad impose any discipline on Apple's conduct in the aftermarket? Assuming the premise of the aftermarket's existence, of course, the question becoming under the Eastman Kodak standard that we've talked about before, that you don't have to have monopoly power in the primary market, your iPhones and your iPads, if you have monopoly power in an aftermarket, in that particular case, for supplies of repair goods and things along those lines, even though Eastman Kodak wasn't a monopoly provider of the copiers and machines that they were selling to the end users. And so Epic says, hey, look, when we're talking about these kinds of things, does the actual sale of the smartphone prevent Apple from abusing its monopoly power. Epic argues that it does not. But the judge responds with, okay, so you say they use their monopoly power to arrive at a 30% price point. Isn't that 30% everywhere? Steam charges 30%, Microsoft, PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo, GameShop, Amazon, Best Buy, Walmart, Apple, Google, 30% everywhere. It's all 30%. And you just want to gloss over it. You don't want to address it. And that's exactly right right? That's one of the ways in which Epic's case is weak. They might be able to establish that Apple has a monopoly power in a secondary market, but is Apple using it illegally? That's a difficult argument to make when Apple set up 30% from the start, has maintained 30% from the start. And you usually see these kinds of actions when somebody like Apple has gone from 30% to 40% and is quote unquote, using that monopoly power to extract more funds. And so if they aren't doing that, if it's the same rate as it always has been, if it's the same rate that Epic has prior paid, then the judge says, what is the specific issue here, right? Well, Epic says, well, Apple's arguments aren't great because there's no actual substitute. They're definitely monopolists. The iOS is a single brand, sure, but you can't put an Xbox in your pocket, to which the judge responds in a very video game knowledgeable fashion. Well, you can't with an Xbox, but you could with a Nintendo Switch which is a really nice counter argument from the judge, but a little bit unexpected uh, from the judiciary in and of itself. It's certainly something that we've raised here in virtual legality. You also have Epic saying, well, okay, maybe not 30% right now, but our concern is that there is no competitive market and there is no constraint on what they can charge. But you see Epic backpedaling there in that particular argument, right? Because it's not illegal to have the possibility to use monopoly power illegally. That's what it means to mean the monopoly itself is not illegal. You actually have to use the power illegally to get in trouble. And so the argument that they could potentially do so in the future, but haven't yet, is not really something that's ripe for the judiciary to comment on. So if you're already saying, well, there's no constraint, they have monopoly power and they could do more, you're probably already in trouble. Now, the Apple lawyer comes in and says, hey, look, this isn't Eastman Kodak. Eastman Kodak was wrongly decided in the 90s anyway because they changed their contract terms in midstream. Apple didn't change their contract terms. So how could we possibly get in trouble for this? And then common sense tells us that a 12-year-old Fortnite player would prefer a big screen and a large control pad rather than playing with their thumbs on the bus is, is pretty amusing from an argument from an Apple counsel perspective, primarily because it's effectively going to the judge and saying, look, we know there are better places to play Fortnite than our iPhones. Don't you think they would rather play them on those better places? Which is correct. It's true in the real sense of the word. Uh, but it's a little bit unusual for your uh, counsel to tell the judge that maybe your client's product isn't the best. 
Now, Epic responds and says, hey, developers won't sacrifice all those users if Apple were to raise its price. This is another way of establishing that they're a monopolist. Remember, we talked about this in virtual legality as well, that there's a hypothetical monopolist power kind of concept that says if they can raise their price and people won't leave, won't do anything against it, won't protest, won't say create a coalition against them, then they could potentially get in trouble because they have monopoly power that is otherwise uncontrollable by outside constraints. Epic wants to argue that that is in fact the case with Apple. But again, they might be able to make this monopolist power complaint and the judge has her own issues with that as we saw at the top. They still are struggling with actual illegal use of the monopoly power in and of itself. Epic's Bornstein says Epic would like its own store to distribute apps on iOS, but it can't because Apple has prohibited it. That's the Anti-Competitive Act issue. And undoubtedly, that is a restraint of trade. But as we talked about when we were talking about the Sherman Act as part of this series, every restraint of trade is not illegal. The Best Buy down the street doesn't have to offer to give you a desk at the front of their store for you to sell your wares in front of them. And very similarly, Apple doesn't have to give space on its app store if you're not following its contract terms. The question as ever is, Do you follow those contract terms? And are those contract terms themselves somehow inherently illegal? And Epic still continues to flounder over that more important question. And now that the actual self-benefiting argument that we knew Epic had, that they really want to open an app store. They really want to not have to pay 30% on V-Bucks. They really want to open a competing app store. They really want Apple to effectively have to support their iOS to allow those app stores is the open question. We saw Google, the day of the hearing, actually put out a news announcement that says that they're going to make it easier for additional app stores to join the Android marketplace. That's one thing that we might cover in a different video. That has to do with this case. Yes, that's why they announced it on Injunction Day. But it also has to do with a pending antitrust lawsuit that the Department of Justice is apparently mulling over filing against Google for exactly the kind of things that Epic brought up with respect to Android and really is a better fit for the Microsoft Internet Explorer cases than the Apple side of things. So Google's doing this. Epic wants to have an app store on Apple. And does the judge really believe in all this? Apple says, well, look, that's giving away the game right there. It's a fundamental disagreement with the way Apple has chosen to do business, but Apple's business model has been consistent throughout its existence. This is the way it has chosen to set up its model and its trademark to safeguard its users. And also, that's why users have gone to Apple. Yes, it's our branding. Yes, it's our marketing. But at least a portion of those users like a walled garden. And if they like a walled garden, destroying that walled garden shouldn't be something that the judiciary is interested in pursuing. They then have a little bit of a fight over whether or not Epic's 63% on iOS number is accurate. We get a comment here from Patrick McGee that says, Epic's Bornstein looks confused and frustrated as the judge and Apple agree on an alternative reading of how Epic portrayed the number of iOS users for Fortnite. Epic tries to defend itself. And the judge says, hey, I think this is going to be a fascinating trial, frankly, because each of these experts makes a compelling argument. We are in a new world. They don't call this the Wild West for nothing. If you're Epic, hey, maybe that sounds good to you. The judge says this is going to be a fascinating trial. Undoubtedly, it is. We've got 22 episodes of virtual legality just on the preliminary jousting. So this is an important case. It is a fascinating case. It would be a fascinating trial if it winds up getting that far. We will see if it does. But the judge also makes an important comment here as well. Walled gardens have existed for four decades. Nintendo, Microsoft, Sony all have them. What Apple is doing is not much different. They created a platform. Epic says the, econ- the, economics, the, the economics of consoles are different. 
Consoles are sold at a loss, so their 30% is very different from Apple's 30%. What's interesting about that is that it doesn't actually say anything about antitrust law. Epic likes this argument, I think primarily because Tim Sweeney likes this argument. But one could argue the exact opposite, that if consoles are sold at a loss, then they are designed to be subsidized by an overmarket rate of 30% below them in an aftermarket sale of apps. And if anything, consoles are more likely to be antitrust violators than Apple, who has a competitive interest in making money selling the hardware itself. So it's one of those things where Epic likes to bring it up. It doesn't actually speak to this specific issue very well, but I'm not even sure that it speaks to their issue on their behalf. If you really break it down and you really wind up having a lot of uh, economics experts talk on this particular issue. Then we have the judge saying what we said at the top. Well, plaintiffs always want me to define relevant markets as narrowly as possible. It helps their case. And defendants always want me to define markets as broad as possible because it helps their case. Next part of the case is starting now with the judge saying, I'm not particularly persuaded with section one, which you always love if you're counsel, right? For Epic says not an auspicious start for me, but I'll do my best, your honor. Section one, if you don't remember it, is that likelihood of the merits question. When we're talking about issuing a preliminary injunction, Epic has to go to the judge and say, look, we are more likely than not to win this case at the end of the day. So you can feel fine issuing us a preliminary injunction using your special powers right now. And the judge really doesn't buy a lot of this. This tweet, we are on the tying argument that IAP is tied to app distribution, which should be illegal. And Apple says IAP is simply a function within the app store that administers the collection of a commission. It's never been marketed or sold separately. Epic has offered no evidence of there being a separate demand for IAP specifically as a product. And it's not at all like PayPal or Stripe in that it is an integrated element of the app store. And then the judge says the killer line. Mr. Bornstein, Epic Counsel, I just don't see this as a separate and distinct product. Remember, if the App Store and the in-app payment processing are not distinct separate products from the iOS in general, the software platform, Epic is going to have a heck of a time with the entirety of the legal concepting here. The judge says, hey, Apple Pay, which is a different system from in-app payment processing, is more like PayPal than when I'm in an app and I purchase something and it's tied to my credit card. Apple takes its cut, the credit card takes their cut, it's payment processing, but I don't see divvying up the payment as a separate and distinct product. Bornstein comes out and says, well, hey, if I'm getting in an Uber, my credit card is there already. Why do they separate physical services from digital? We can speculate, but they have not chosen to extend the tie that far. Which again, they're using the language. You try to put this kind of notion in the judge's head. There is a tie, even though the judge says, I'm not sure there are separate markets here. You keep saying the word tie. You keep saying tying and you say, hey, they treat Uber differently. And I have said this in the past. I said it as part of Apple's documents. They haven't done a good job of establishing exactly why they treat physical services differently. And they should have. That should be a part of their developer guidelines. That should be established as part of their marketing materials so they can have a defense against these kinds of arguments. Maybe they will do so in the future. Maybe they won't. But Apple effectively says, hey, it's just an element of the App Store. They're not separate markets. And if Epic can't win at least one of these fights, 30% is too high. They're tied markets illegally. The contracts themselves are illegal restraints of trade. Then they're not going to ultimately win the case because just because Apple is a monopoly provider of iOS access doesn't mean that they are acting illegally if you can't show them using their power in an illegal fashion. Now, Bornstein at Epic says, hey, there is a distinct demand for different payment mechanisms. Over 50% chose to use direct pay when we offered it or when they when they circumvented Apple's payment system. 
And Apple has kicked out thousands of people that used it. And the judge says, hey, you know what? That might be right. Your expert opines that there is no separate demand for IP, Apple. But as Mr. Bornstein at Epic correctly points out, 50% of people did in fact use their mechanism. And then Apple's lawyer says what we said here in this space. No, that just demonstrates that people would rather pay $7 than $10. And it's no surprise. What's probably most enlightening about that statistic is that 50% still prefer to stay within the app store within IAP because they trust Apple to protect their safety, security, and privacy. Now, I actually think that's a loser kind of commentary from Apple. You don't want to establish for the judge that you can be just fine if you allow other app stores, because then the judge looks at the situation and says, well, if you can be just fine, maybe I should just let let Epic do what they want because 50% or more are going to go with you because of safety, security, and privacy. And that starts to look like a competitive market to me. Now, in my opinion, Apple should have the right to choose exactly how it operates its hardware. And you have the right to not buy their hardware if you find their garden walls to be too high. But when you say a sentence like this, you suggest to the judge in their mind, I think subconsciously at bare minimum, that, hey, maybe Apple and their model would be fine if they allowed Epic in and their app store. Now they transition to another lawyer. So they moving to other arguments now. It's Catherine Forrest representing Epic. She's a high-profile former judge and antitrust litigator at Cravath. Just a side note here. Cravath, big law firm. We've talked about this in the past. Absolutely. They're representing their client well. You have to play the hand you're dealt. When I say Epic has a weak case, that's Epic's case. I think the lawyers are doing a yeoman's work trying to make it work for their client, but it is a tough case to bring. So I don't have an issue with how Cravath has presented their case, as some people in the comments to my videos do, but I do think their case has these inherent weaknesses. Now, they are focused with Catherine Forrest here on trying to save Unreal, which is what Epic is really fighting for in this preliminary injunction hearing because the temporary restraining order has already set the groundwork for them not being able to force Fortnite back onto the store. What they want to try to make sure of is that Unreal doesn't get taken off at the same time because that's another significant portion of their business. First, Ms. Forrest says, having competition go from two development platforms with Unreal Engine and Unity down to one is not the answer, that Apple would be cutting off competition amongst this kind of engine developer crew. But it doesn't really talk about the main question, which is, does Apple have the right to cut off Epic if Epic did something bad, if they breached their contract and surreptitiously put in a hotfix, etc., etc.? Epic argues there is absolutely irreparable harm to Epic's Unreal Engine business. It's got thousands, hundreds of thousands of developers who have millions of licensees who are dependent upon these engines, and this is going to shutter that business for Epic That is not contested, but the judge, again, doesn't seem to be going along with this so well. Judge says federal courts don't issue injunctions just because parties find themselves in a contract dispute. There are instances where federal courts might issue orders to keep the status quo in situations where a company or business is going to go out of business, but that is not the case for Epic. No one's entitled to make billions of dollars. That was a calculated decision here. If you go back a couple of videos in this series, you will note when Epic filed their document, they brought up a lot of cases that talked about instances in which the court did put forth a preliminary injunction in an antitrust context in order to save franchisees' businesses, particularly in the car dealership industry. And Epic thought this was a killer argument. We pointed out that it really didn't apply to Epic, who is at no risk of just going under for not having access to iOS. And because of that, as well as a number of other things, which we talked about at length in that video, please check it out, they were going to have a problem bringing the case. And the judge rightly says, look, we aren't talking about car dealerships going under. We are talking about Epic Games that makes billions of dollars that will continue to make money on Fortnite through other industries. 
please don't shout at me with this argument because it is disingenuous. Now, they do say that the Trojan horse argument for Unreal is a straw man and completely irrelevant, which is something that we pointed out in Apple's documents, where we said Apple's gone a little bit crazy, suggesting that the Unreal engine could be used to position Russian troops on the border or steal your financial information, which maybe it could, but Unreal and Epic rightly responded and said, hey, we have our own negative side effects if we start doing that with our applications. And the judge appears to take her side and mocking Apple a bit for the the sky is falling approach, which is a bit overblown and not on solid ground. But Apple tries to make this argument even stronger. If they're allowed to operate, then Epic may try to sneak past Apple's app review process. Again, it should be noted. And others would do it too. And that really goes to the core of the system. So it's not just Epic and Unreal Engine that we're concerned about. Let's say you don't think that Epic would do this because Epic is above board. Maybe you really like Fortnite, whatever it is, Judge. We're concerned about setting a precedent where Epic can go in the middle of the night, can change something in their application, can go and win a preliminary injunction that prevents us from taking an action against other pieces of their empire that touch our iOS and that other developers could see that and say, well... If I can win an injunction like that, then maybe I will position Russian troops on the border. Maybe I will do something else surreptitious with my app code. And Apple says, yes, this is going to have a domino effect across their infrastructure. Now, I don't necessarily think that's a terribly strong argument, but it is an argument that doesn't get laughed out of court. And once you make that argument, and then once you have in your contract terms the right to terminate somebody like Epic on 30 days for convenience without even actually having to require a breach term related to their Unreal Engine distribution services, then maybe Epic has a problem. They say Apple wasn't retaliating against Unreal Engine. It was protecting its ecosystem. The judge says, I understand that, says this is an extraordinary case, and also kind of doubles up on that, right? Says, you did something. You lied about it by omission. This is to Epic. By not being forthcoming. That's the security issue. That's the security issue. Right, Epic wants to say there is no security issue here. The judge isn't just saying to Apple, well, you've kind of overblown it. She is admitting that they do have a case that they shouldn't necessarily have to allow folks that are going to hide things in their code to operate on their hardware if they are taking it upon themselves to try to prevent that exact activity from occurring. And one of the things that I tweeted out, I didn't highlight it for you in this video, is that if the judge goes for this, if the judge goes for the hotfix method that Epic employed is a security issue, that that is a reasonable business decision of Apple, then say goodbye to Unreal. Because if the judge goes for this in its entirety, then Apple definitely has the right under their current contracts to protect their security, to terminate the contracts with folks like Epic International that run the Unreal Engine. And yes, there are going to be unfortunate people that are currently developing products with the Unreal Engine that are going to be at risk because of all of this. But ultimately, because the judge looks at this and says, Epic could fix this, why won't they? This is the kind of thing where the judge might say, you know what, forget a preliminary injunction at all, Epic. Let the chips fall where they may. And Epic, you can fix this. Please do so, so that your developers aren't harmed, so that your customers aren't harmed. We can litigate this over the course of a year and nobody's harmed and we can figure out exactly whether or not this contract is illegal. The judge seems a lot more inclined to go towards that argument than the alternative. We then have that great question from the judge that we pointed out earlier. At what point in time did Apple become a monopolist? And this is important. 
We talked about this a couple of videos back in virtual legality, but the theory of Epic's case requires you to believe that Apple was a monopolist from the first day and the first phone that they ever sold because they are a monopolist in their own brand, the iOS app distribution market. And so you actually have to say they are a monopolist from the start in order to establish that 30% is too high, that they were using monopoly power that's very difficult to establish existed in order to create an overmarket charge that they have then just continued for the better part of a decade. The judge isn't buying that at all. I think it's obvious that in 2007, nothing existed. Apple created something, and now it's a ubiquitous platform. So they've gone from being a non-player to an innovator, and at some point there is a claim they became a monopolist even though the rates haven't changed. Epic tries to answer this by saying, well, what I'm suggesting is that of 2018, when we entered into our relationship with iOS, their, their new relationship, right? Epic's been making games for iOS for some time. There were no alternative app stores. There was alternative to IAP. It was a monopolist at that time, and it has sought to maintain its monopoly. But when did it become unlawful? That becomes a complicated question. But as to us, as of 2018, when they changed nothing and Epic voluntarily entered into a new contract with them, this becomes a very difficult argument to make. The judge talking about that hot fix that we also pointed out in the Brian Fung tweet thread. You were not forthright. You weren't. You were told you couldn't do it, and you did. You know there's an old saying, a rose by any other name is still a rose. I mean, you can try all you want. There are plenty of people in the public who consider you guys heroes for what you did. Anybody sporting a free Fortnite hat, maybe half the people on Reset Era on any given day, but it's still not honest. And when you go and ask for the court to use special powers on an equitable level for fairness and justice, you're always going to have a problem if the judge thinks you didn't act honestly to get to that point. It's one of the reasons that we have said in this series that Epic seems to be a terrible knight for those of you that seek to have Apple's terms changed or that truly believe that Apple is acting in violation of the antitrust laws, that Epic, by doing it in the way that they did, made this case so much harder for themselves and really those that follow them, that if they had just brought this case, perhaps with some other plaintiffs at the same time, they might have had a better case. They wouldn't have had to argue about these kinds of things with the judge, but by doing it the way they did, with an email in the middle of the night from Tim Sweeney saying, we will use all of our weapons at our disposal against you, you gave Apple all of this cover to act in the way they did, to terminate you for your breach, not for the bringing of the lawsuit, and now to potentially terminate the rest of your subsidiaries, not because of the lawsuit, but because they don't trust you. And businesses do have the right to establish that they don't trust a business partner and to terminate their contractual relationships with that party that they don't trust. As Apple says, there's no dispute that Epic needs to meet all four preliminary injunction standards to get a temporary injunction. Ms. Forrest over at Epic just admitted they must show a likelihood of success on the merits. And if Epic would just come into compliance, it can free Fortnite. It can free Unreal Engine by just complying with what it owes. And we have a trial and summary judgment and proceed, and that will protect the public. This is by far Apple's best argument to this particular judge who has already expressed sympathy in this hearing to this line of argument, as well as in the temporary restraining order that she issued in August. And so Apple says they can fix it. One of the things that Epic has pointed out in their return documents is, no, we can't. We can't fix it right now because Apple has already cut off our Epic Games account. So one thing that you might see if the judge goes entirely for Apple or even mostly for Apple as part of this preliminary injunction order slash denial 
is, as we have talked about, a requirement that Apple put things back if Epic takes the direct payment option off of their Fortnite product. Now, the judge actually offers an additional fig leaf to Epic, but Epic starts acting a little bit crazy. The judge says, hey, what if the 30% went into an escrow account? Will Apple let Fortnite back on? And will Epic agree to go back without a payment option, but all money's going to escrow? Yes or no? Understand what the judge is offering here. The judge is trying, because this is an equitable proceeding, to arrive at a place where the parties can live with reality throughout the term of the the litigation. And Epic doesn't want to pay Apple its money because they think Apple is evil and pernicious and bad. And they say, we should not be complicit in these evil schemes. The judge says, okay, if you don't want to pay Apple the money, what if the money just goes into an escrow account? So you sell things, you sell V-Bucks on iOS, Apple takes its 30%, and the 30% doesn't go straight to Apple, it goes to a bank somewhere, and then when this is all finished up, that 30% either goes to you if you win, Epic, or it goes to Apple if Apple wins. What do you say? Apple says, well, it would address a lot of issues, but we'd have to ask Apple. That's good counsel right there in case you're a young lawyer. You have to ask your client when something like that is proposed. But Epic says no. Epic's counsel says this court should not give its assistance to unlawful provisions by monopolists. Yeah, I mean, the counsel is representing its client. That's clearly the client's stance on these kinds of things. However, when the judge in a hearing like this one says, hey, what if we came up with a compromise? How would you feel about that? It's not great to just say, absolutely not, judge. This would never be accepted. You should not give assistance to unlawful provisions by monopolists. When the rest of the hearing is establishing that the judge isn't so sure that they're a monopolist in the first instance, or that they're a monopolist that is using their power illegally in the second. The judge then kind of doubles down, says, hey, there's no case law that says our company is losing some millions. And so therefore that's an irreparable harm. I got to believe that that's supposed to be irreparable here in this, in, in this quote. There's no case law to support that. And Apple's lawyer doubles down again and says, hey, the Epic doesn't need the court's help. It can just fall into compliance and avoid any harm then proceed with its lawsuit. Epic is continuing to flounder, says, hey, the evidence has been completely mischaracterized. We have millions of people who will be directly affected. We can't fix this ourselves. And then when the judge actually doubles up, this isn't in this thread, but it's in another of the couple of threads that we have seen and says, why did you enter into this marketing campaign about all of this stuff? This is a very unusual move. You breached and then you marketed it. And then you put out a 1984 video. And Epic's response is, when you are taking on the biggest company in the world, you know it's going to retaliate, assumption. You don't lie down in the streets and die. You plan very carefully on how you're going to respond. You try very hard to keep your head above water. And that's what we have done here which in and of itself is a bit disingenuous. They filed the lawsuit within an hour of Fortnite being taken down and they had the video ready to go that same minute. That's not about keeping your head above water. That's about trapping Apple and being ready with a marketing blitz at the same point in time. Apple hadn't even done anything yet. You want to say removal of Fortnite is retaliation, but you clearly breached your agreement. You're not even arguing that you didn't. So this becomes a very unclean hands kind of setup. Unclean hands meaning that Epic has done some bad things. And in general, the court is going to be disinclined to use its powers for the benefit of someone with unclean hands. That there's a sticking point here. You lied. You weren't forthcoming. You knew it was in breach. And so when you look at these threads, when you talk to people about what the oral arguments represented, I think it is fair to say that the judge has some very real concerns about how Epic operated, but also that we just don't know how things will turn out. 
right? We talked about it yesterday. The, the most likely outcome is still that the temporary restraining order is basically turned into the preliminary injunction. That Apple is permitted to kick Fortnite off and Epic Games off, but isn't allowed to touch Unreal. And even though the judge doesn't like Epic, she is clearly concerned with the fact that Unreal developers are complete innocent parties to all this. Now, the judge might look at this and say, Epic, yeah, they're innocent parties, but they're innocent parties that you are using as hostages. And Epic, you should fix things. And so I'm not going to give you any of the preliminary injunction matters. But I am going to say that if you fix this within 10 days or whatever time period the judge comes up with, then Apple has to put things back. And Apple isn't allowed to just keep Fortnite off their system and to kill Unreal if you return things to the way they were and maintain that position throughout this litigation. At which point, with Epic acting as the way they have, you put Epic in a bind because Epic has the opportunity to correct things for its Fortnite players, has the opportunity to correct things for its Unreal developers. And if they decline that after the judge has offered them that option, then they're not going to be seen in a very nice light by the judge throughout the remainder of the trial, even if at the end of the day, they might win on the merits through the litigation. This has been Virtual Legality for today. I hope you enjoyed this brief discussion of oral arguments. Again, I think it's interesting to look at. It's interesting to see how a judge operates, how Apple and Epic respond to the judge asking questions along those lines. Of course, the disclaimer is, is that this was a massive game of telephone. I wasn't able to attend the Zoom call yesterday. I was practicing law here at Hogue Law, as I sometimes do when I'm not making YouTube videos. So we did actually talk about a summary of a summary coming through reporters on Twitter. And so undoubtedly there will be things that the judge said that weren't conveyed because some tweet wasn't made about what the judge said on that particular topic. So take it with a grain of salt, just as you do with everything else that you read and that we source here in this space. Otherwise, if you like this, thank you so much for watching. Please like, share, subscribe, tell folks that we are here. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.